This week ahead, we have some astrology that says, let's burn it all down to the fucking ground. Yes, sacred rage and a revolution is brewing. We are feeling it. Welcome to Cosmic Rx Radio, a podcast that gives you real-life tools of spiritual empowerment and pure hype. I'm your host and intuitive guide, Maddie Murphy. I'll be serving up your weekly energy readings, cosmic boss interviews, and astro inspiration. Are you ready to love yourself more, manifest your dream life, and own your magic? Let's jump in. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Maddie Murphy, your girl, your high vibe hype woman, your cosmic consultant. Quick question. What the F is going on? What the fook is going on? Today's episode, today's energy report is going to be a little different. We're doing a very special episode in light of last week's news with Roe v. Wade being overturned. I thought this was a great time to bring on a guest that I had the pleasure of interviewing a few weeks ago. Her name is Reverend Katie Zay. I'm going to talk about her in a minute, but she's an ordained Baptist minister and the CEO of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. We had a great conversation, a really beautiful, inclusive, eye-opening, heartwarming discussion about abortion, how we got here to Roe v. Wade what's going on, what's next. This was recorded in early June, and I did ask her her thoughts on Roe v. Wade, and she said, yes, it is going to be overturned. But she gives us some words of comfort and advice and guidance, and of course, also calls on the wisdom of the black and brown women who have been leading our fight, our journey to try to attain reproductive justice. So we're going to talk about that in a second, but I just wanted to say that it's rough. This is hard. We no, we are in the Pluto return of the United States. If you're new, go back to some of my old episodes. We're in it right now. This is the year, 2022. It started 2222 was the first exact Pluto return. It's the chance to look back at all of the shadows this country was built on. And I don't mean this country of like the land that represents when it was under indigenous leadership. I mean, this country, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, the modern you know, United States of America, we're having a moment of really questioning what it was founded on. And this is our chance to evolve or die, bitches, which is what Pluto in Capricorn is telling us. We need to change and dismantle so many structures, so many systems. And I do hold in my heart beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is going to happen. But we know we always have to, a lot of Pluto in Capricorn, it started in 2008, and it's been a revealing of the gross, dark, pus toxic sludge that is in the shadow of our United States of America, bringing it right out in the open. And this ending of the Pluto return is about like deep backsliding energy and a backlash from these dying breed of people, specifically white, able-bodied, straight, cisgendered men, their last few grabs for power. Also, in, you know, as Glennon Doyle would say, um, life is always brutal, brutal and beautiful all at once. It's been very beautiful to watch people come together, 
it's been nice to see even like I'm really calling on all the men to take this up too. This is everyone's battle. It's been beautiful to see that. And yeah, it's been brutal. <sighs> Speaking of Glennon Doyle, definitely check out her most recent podcast. Has some great calls to action. Very informative on what our next steps are. Very thoughtful. Mixing up the format a little bit. And also in brutal news, I am now an auntie and my sister's baby is Earthside. So it's also why I'm going to keep this episode a little short today because I want to drop into some sacred family and rest and haunty time. So what else is going on? This is just to like do our astrology isn't real moment, just to understand some of the things. Because again, we knew this moment was coming perhaps, but it doesn't make it easier. So Roe versus Wade, as a recap, January 22nd, 1973, was established with a seven to two opinion in favor. Interesting, we, you know, Aquarius Sun, Virgo Moon, all about social justice, progress, public health, the sovereignty of women in that birth chart. It had a Cancer South node, clearing karma of unhealthy maternity, family rights, family planning. And at this moment of time we were in, we were in the Chiron return of this. So Chiron and Aries, the sign of the warrior. And it's returning back to that. It's in 13 degrees. 13 is the sign of the feminine. So we're in the Chiron return of Roe v. Wade. And then this month, we had Jupiter and Mars linking up with Chiron, really expanding, extending this. This is, hasn't happened since Chiron, Jupiter, and Mars and Aries coming together this is a very rare, rare placement. So the amplification, the battle cry energy of this, we were feeling it, right? And I should point out too, we're in a Jupiter and Aries summer. I talked about it in my 2022 webinar, but the last time we had Jupiter and Aries, we experienced the Arab Spring and we saw, specifically we saw women really rising up and taking to the streets and not settling for not having you know basic human rights or being seen as having the same human rights, civil rights as men. And we, we saw, you know, a lot of upheaval and uprising and revolution and rebellion happen, but it wasn't peaceful, right? Jupiter and Aries is, is very warrior energy. So we're feeling into that with the Chiron return. And we know that with the South Known Scorpio that started on January 18th, 2022, we were going to look at reproductive issues. We're going to look at the misuse, abuse of power. We're going to look at all that karma. And we're going to look at a severe, like jaded mistrust, distrust of the government. Because obviously the super weird, conservative, like neo-fascist, toxic, fundamental Christian, when Katie Zay had a, um, a good term for it, I forget what it is now. They're kind of like puppet stringing this or like it's sort of government in general. We're feeling a little bit jaded by them and we still have to register to vote and we still have to show up. We also have to hold people accountable. The people who were in power had years to codify Roe versus Wade. The Democrats could have done a lot more. They held control of the Senate. They held majority in the Supreme Court. And, you know, it's just, there's that. The Scorpio South note, it's about reproductive rights. It's about misuse of power, but it's just a certain feeling of like things being unearthed and leading to a little bit of like a Hmm. Okay, we got to reevaluate things here a little bit. And we saw that the eclipses, the first like real set of eclipses, end of April, April 30th to May 16th, in that time is when we saw the SCOTUS leak, right? The Scorpio South Node secrets leaking. And it's been scary how fast things have pursued the developments since then, right? Like personally, I did think this was coming, 
but I, maybe I just was in denial. Jupiter and Aries summer makes sense, but I thought it was going to be more in the fall around the eclipses and the midterms because the midterms are going to be crazy, that astrology. But then now, of course, looking at new moon and cancer conjunct black moon Lilith, who is the keeper of the dark feminine rage. And I was actually doing some research on Lilith and it was really interesting. I saw her, James Joyce actually names her as the patron of abortions. And Lilith represents really like the original hatred of the feminine, especially in like religion. I'm not talking about like spirituality. I'm not talking about like what I think actual like good spiritual values are based on, but I'm talking about like the man-made religions that kind of have been the foundation for our society. So Lilith, super interesting with this new moon in Cancer, we had this news coming up when Cancer being the sign of families, of mothers, of maternal rights, of children, of home, of safety, of security, of all the things that we're seeing being talked about right now. So we can expect till July, 2023, probably to have a lot more developments on this all the Scorpio energy and the Aries energy now, there's transformation happening. We're in the Neptune opposition of the country, the United States. We're being asked, like, Neptune is faith. This country was founded on Neptune and Virgo. We're in Neptune and Pisces now. And we're kind of being asked, like, hey, like, are we a church or a country? Question mark. We're in the Saturn return of the constitutions. That's why we're visiting some of these things. This is really challenging. And I heard on the Glennon Doyle podcast this is the first ever time the Supreme Court overruled a ruling that took away a right, a fundamental human right that's already established. And I was like, great, fun times, good times. So before I get into some calls to action, I do want to give you guys some astrology dates, things to look out for. July 4th into 5th, there is the similar astrology we're in of the dates of the attempted insurrection of January 6th. And obviously that's coming up a lot in the news right now. And well, I'll talk about Pluto return of the US. I can't even get into it. I don't have the bandwidth of some of the stuff that's been unearthed under the Scorpio South node about Trump and everything went down that day. But Mars will be ingressing from Aries into Taurus. So I just want us to look out for, we might see some sort of uprising or again, something like that. Can I just say it to be safe? July 11th is the second exact Pluto return. I kept seeing this meme going around like, hey, empires fall after 250 years. Like, maybe this is our time, the United States. Like, maybe we're, maybe we're done. And I was like, oh, haha, all y'all are just talking about Pluto return energy without even realizing it. Because, yeah, we're not the first country or empire, whatever you want to call it, to go through some shit at the Pluto return time. But this is the battle of a lifetime we're in. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we were born during these times for a reason. We're here. It's not easy, but there is change afoot in the astrology. And it's time where we just have to do things differently. We have to do things differently from how we've done them over the past 50 years, looking at the lens of what it means, you know, what does pro-choice mean? We have to get out of the myopic lens and realizing that it's not just about that legislation. It's about all legislation, all rules, all bills, uh, voter ID laws, gerrymandering, things that don't necessarily always get our attention or maybe aren't as like sexy or grabbing the attention of, especially I will call myself out like for years. That's kind of what led us here. So we want to be registered to vote. We want to be paying attention to everyone's human rights or our human rights. So that's why we have to fight for each other. That's why we have to have more inclusivity. Of course, it's about being a beautiful soul and caring about people. But truly, it's like, it's all connected. It's all connected, okay? So 
we're registering to vote, we're paying attention, we're moving forward differently. And we're following black and brown leadership, especially black and brown female leadership who have been doing this for a long time. One thing Katie Zay says in the podcast is, you know, I didn't invent all of this. This is reproductive justice as a term, as a definition, was created in 1994 by a group of black women who called themselves women of African descent for reproductive justice. And it talked about combining reproductive rights and social justice. And now the group sister song, which I'm going to encourage everyone to support, follow, join, defines reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. And I think that is something we can all get behind. So following that leadership, Katie Zay says, don't start something on your own. Don't start a new organization that distracts, that drains. Join forces with people who have been preparing for this moment for decades. Okay. I'm going to recommend Sister Song if you want a great spot to start. And then I want us to think about, of course, donating to your local abortion fund, abortion funds, the Instagram, the website will help you show your local abortion funds, local abortion fund, or donating to abortion funds that are on the border of states that have gotten shut down because they are taking on, obviously, and they will be taking on an extra influx of people. And then we just have to reimagine where we go from here. Things have to be more inclusive, more holistic. It's, it is about voting and donating, but it's also just about reimagining if you're someone who you know, owns your own company, can you reimagine better policy, policies put into place to support your employees getting an abortion or uh, supporting better family planning, like supporting mothers and single mothers and parents. Like there's just a whole reimagining happening. I'm not the expert on it, but I just want us to be open to thinking about that. Again, if you know someone, how I got to interview Reverend Katie Zay is I put out the call during eclipse season of like, I don't really know what I'm talking about. I know I feel a lot of things. I know I'm really upset, but I'd love to talk to someone who can clearly lay all this out for me. And one of you amazing baddies, Sarah, slid into my DMs and recommended Katie Zay. So I recommend, again, if you have someone you think I should talk to or have on the podcast, especially someone, yeah, black, brown, indigenous woman who's been doing this for a minute, like let's, let's amplify those voices. And the last thing I want to say is just take care of your heart. Taking care of your heart is so important right now. On the Glenn and Doyle podcast, they talked about like, they want us tired. They want us feeling defeated, outnumbered, but we're not. We're not defeated. We're definitely not outnumbered. And when we talk about everything about this is we're fighting for full-scale liberation for all of us. We're fighting for the full-scale enjoyment and freedom over our own bodies and to live a life where we have that equal freedom and the ability to enjoy and choose what we want our lives to be, which is everything we stand for here, especially, you know, being empowered, being sovereign, being in your joy, being in your pleasure, reclaiming your sexuality, your beautiful, sacred sensuality as a birthright, while also creating a more inclusive, equitable, safe world for our children, for each other, for everyone's children, for all of human life to be of value and to be held in dignity. And that's what we're here for. And it's not going to happen from playing nice. It's not going to happen from playing the waiting game. Right now, we are seeking full-fledged liberation, a whole-ass revolution, and we're not asking for permission. We're taking it back. We're taking back. What we need to be reminded of is that we are sovereign. We are human beings worthy of reproductive health care and rights just as a human right. 
There are so many of us. There are so many of us and we are stronger together. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy this talk with Reverend Katie Zay, again, CEO of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And what really stood out to me about this was that she talks about how faith-based leaders have been supporting abortion for years, and it's not as entangled as we think it is with politics and, and faith. And I just think that there's some interesting light being shed on this discussion, adding some more nuance to it. And of course, she gives us some great action steps. So wrapping you all in so much love and stardust, remember, love yourself fully, take no shit. We are still calling in that hot sex and juicy checks. And I just will connect with you again next week and just hope you enjoy this podcast. Let me know your thoughts and let me know if there's any organizations or causes that you think I should be aware of. Slide into my DMs at I am Maddie Murphy. Sending you love. All right. Okay, my baddies. I'm going to need you to really listen up, settle in. This episode today, I was just telling our guests that I am like excited, nervous, anxious, because this is a very, very important conversation, so near and dear to my heart. And we have on today our one of our first ever truly just community-nominated guests. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Katie Zay, who is an ordained Baptist minister and the CEO of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Do we see where we're going with this? The Center for American Progress named her one of their top justice-seeking faith leaders to watch, and she's a member of the Clergy Advocacy Board of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. And Reverend Katie is also the co-host of an amazing podcast called Kindreds and the author of two books. One of them, Women Rise Up, Sacred Stories of Resistance for Today's Revolution. Do you see why we're happy to have her on already? And the book we're going to talk about today, A Complicated Choice, Making Space for Grief and Healing in the Pro-Choice Movement. She is a huge advocate for reproductive freedom. She's also just delightful to listen to on her podcast. And I think this is my most like brimming with excitement guest on. And so meet our today's Cosmic Changemaker, Reverend Katie Zay. Thank you for coming on. Hi, how are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to talk about this. I cannot wait to talk about this. And you know, before we even get started, I had to literally read the DM from your friend, Sarah Schisler-Goff. She goes, Aloha, Maddie. I was just listening to your most recent podcast about Roe v. Wade. I did the astrology breakdown of it. I've been a listener of yours since the beginning. I love your show. One of my best friends from Yale Divinity School is now a pro-choice, but also casual Yale Divinity School, is now a pro-choice ordained Baptist minister and the CEO of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. She's also into astrology and a total cosmic baddie. I asked her if it was cool to share some information. She said, hell Yes here it is. I like fell out of my chair. I was driving. I was like literally in the car with my husband. I was like, what is happening? Like someone (laughs) like this exists in the world. And then I started reading your work and immediately started weeping. So that's how I'm doing having you here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's well, it's beautiful to hear from a friend of wonderful friends who I kind of recently reconnected with over, over this. So thank you for bringing us back together. And I'm delighted to be here. And I will tell you that I know it sounds strange, a pro-choice Baptist minister, and I'm not, I am not the only one. I'm not the only one. so cool to hear that. I felt like 
I always say, you know, the world feels so hard and the media and everything out there is hard and intense, but there's like so many revolutions happening in all these different corners of the world. And we just don't always know about it. And that's why I love to hear people's stories of people doing this. And that was one, that was a DM that got me because I was mm. feeling heavy and hopeless and angry and overwhelmed. And yeah. I'm, I'm so happy. Yeah. It's always fun to hear how people talk about you behind your back. And that's a great... <laughs> I have some not so nice things said too. So it's nice to hear something positive. <laughs> um, oh, really? You mean taking up space as a Christian in the reproductive justice uh, pro-abortion yeah, space? Has, makes some people mad. <laughs> no, I don't believe it. Um, <laughs> so this is, I think, a really personal, again, like I'm going off my normal flow of my guest interviews, but this is very personal to me. I grew up in a very like born again, very fundamental Christian home. And my parents are amazing, lovely. I, I give them a shout out. They had me question a lot of things, but the larger network of our church, which was actually home Bible studies, was problematic to say the least. And I didn't, but I love the community aspect of it. I loved, I always had a strong connection to faith. I always, I loved so many things about like my church experience. But even when I was nine, I'm returning to my dad and being like, there was no like female leadership in the church. And it, it was all these things. And I've just questioned. And luckily my dad's a double Gemini Leo. So he's like, yeah, question everything. Question yeah, everything. I'm like, it. give me all like the idiot's guide to like the Torah and the Quran. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but the whole conversation, I remember very distinctly going to a teen Bible camp weekend. And I'm sure the story you're very familiar with, but basically getting traumatized about how sinful, I mean, just sex was, and then much less than we start talking about abortion and the story. I don't even like want to repeat the stories. They were so graphic and so awful. And then we had someone come in and talk about how they almost got an abortion and didn't, and how it was the best thing that ever happened to them. The propaganda w went deep. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. even for me as an adult woman, you know, I'm in my late thirties and it's only been in the last few years that I feel like I can just say the word abortion and not feel like I have to whisper like, abortion. yeah, it's so stigmatized so stigmatized. There's a lot to unpack in today's episode. So I wanted to say like your work has connected so many dots for me. So I'm going to just lay out a little bit of what I want to talk with you about so everyone knows what to expect in this episode, which again, I never do. I usually am just like, well, let's just go for a ride. But I think it's helpful to understand like sort of your framework and a lot of your expertise and the things that you've spent a lot of time and energy dedicating yourself to. And I just kind of map out for where we're going to go on this journey so people know what to expect. I really want to talk to you about the history of and the kind of the mythology of to be a Christian means you have to inherently be pro-life, whatever that means, anti-abortion. Uh, why abortion is only one part of reproductive justice. A little bit about like the history of faith-based leaders, like leading up to Roe versus Wade and some of that that I've done, done some real reading on and really like what it means to be a pro-choice Christian and kind of like any resources or ways you can help people understand that or talk about that. Or just, again, we're opening up this conversation beyond the binary, which I so appreciate like the nuance and the openness and the compassion and the storytelling you bring to your work. So how does that sound? Does that sound good to you? That sounds beautiful. Okay, I just got to lay it all out because again, I'm excited. So why don't we just rewind, we'll back it up. How the heck did we get here? How, how, who are you? How did this happen? <laughs> just some small questions. <laughs> how do we get from yeah, the, the zig to the zag? And I heard you reference it on a podcast as your like faith formation. So like how, what led you to 
wanting to be a woman, a leader of faith, and then to the unexpected plot twist of being yeah. in the space you're in right now. <laughs> okay, I'll tell a little bit about me and then tie it to how we got where we are now, for sure. There's a lot there, but I, I think I can tell it pretty briefly. So for me, I grew up in a very similar environment that you did. And it wasn't part of my family of origin, specifically my nuclear family, but my grandmother, when she was terminally ill, wanted to go back to church. And I went with her as a way to connect with her. And I also fell in love with the faith community. There were aspects of it, like you were talking about, where I was like, this is really fascinating. I had never heard any of the Jesus stories before. And there was definitely something about it that was very appealing to me. And after she died, I stayed connected because that was my connection to her. And also Mm -hmm. I was feeling that spiritual pull to be part of community, which is so valuable. And it comes at a cost that we pay. They kind of know, right? I think that's like, is that inherently designed in it? Like, hey, because that's how I feel. I'm like, I don't like this, but I really like the community and the support. And there's like free childcare for my parents and vacation Bible school all summer and all of these things. So yeah, okay, you go on. Yes. Wanting the belonging, I think is a lot of it. Wanting the belonging and the community and the connection. And so in order to be part of that, there's a lot that you have to give up. And what you were describing about the weekend, the teen retreat, there was a lot of that messaging for me too. We're probably around the same age. I'm about to mm-hmm. turn 39. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so in order to be part of this community with people I love, I've got to follow certain rules. And it beyond just sex specifically being sinful, I just sort of felt like being embodied as a woman was sinful. Right. Just like existing. Just, just take it back like five steps. Just existing. <laughs> existing as a human, as a human woman, breathing as a woman. Okay. Right. Yeah. You're so absolutely like, okay. right. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I am inherently. Okay. Right. Cool. <laughs> okay. So all those, you know, inner voices that are telling me I'm a piece of garbage have now been affirmed by this faith community. So I just, I took that and ran with it. And so it wasn't until I got to college and I I started taking theology classes, which I've been warned about. People told me, don't go study religion because they're going to take your faith from you. So that's a red flag. And I started. (laughs) (laughs) We need a red flag counter for this podcast. Uh, Red flag. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Okay, I'm going to go do that thing. So I started studying and I realized, wow, there's a lot about the Christian tradition that I didn't know, the history of the church, a lot of the mystical parts of the tradition I didn't know about, and learning about how the the canon of the scriptures was put together. I mean, all of that was so mind-blowing to me and was also really difficult because now I have to wrestle with these messages and this certainty I had as as a teenager about my faith and now realizing, wow, there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot of mystery here. And over time, learn to embrace that. And that's still very much part of my faith now is just embracing the mystery. Wow. That allows us to experience so many things when we're outside of that rigid binary you were talking about. Absolutely. I love that. And just even shouting that out, that to me feels like, again, the difference of like organized religion, which to me feels very, you know, patriarchal, very, I don't want to say it's like the toxic masculine energy. It's like linear. Yes. I, I did it. And therefore you have, to, I'm in a pulpit, you're in the audience. Yes you're doing this because I'm right versus like, you know, if we go way, way back to like the feminine based earth-based spirituality that was like in a circle where there's no leader. Yeah. There's someone who's holding the space that we're all in a circle. We're all equal. And like the circle of the mystery, like we, right when we get to the top, we got to start right around again. It's like, there's even just in the essence of that, like surrendering to the mystery is so healing. Cause that's what I would have said to my dad growing up, like, 
how does this belong a story? But we went to a camp one time and there was all of these people celebrating it was an Islamic retreat. And it was at a big like YMCA center upstate New York. And it was right after 9-11. And one of our spiritual leaders were like, they're wrong. Like, they, they were like, condemning them. And I remember just like wow. turning to my dad and being like, how are we so sure that we have this right? Like, why are they so confident in any ways? But it's the same thing of like, and I remember at a young age being like, that just feels like ego. And I remember being like, my dad, that feels like some man bullshit. And he's like, yeah, it really is. Like, so clocking that from an early age, but then again, feeling so not supported by like, and then you go right back in because I like the community. I'm here and I'm inherently feeling guilty to God for even thinking those things. So, yes. right. Like you're like having the thought, but then there's like that like conditioned voice. that's like, no, you're right. Wrong. You're, right. Out you're just line. doubting. You need to pray that doubt yeah. away. Right. Oh my God. Stop triggering. It's so accurate. Oh my God. You're good. Okay. So you carry on. Okay. So that's where you're at. You're kind of right. open up to the more mystery of this. Yeah. And studying different kinds of theology, feminist theology, black theology, liberation theology. Like, wow. There's a different way to live into this faith journey that I never heard about, never knew was allowed for me. And so finding community, I think was the struggle for me. That is still evolving, I would say, in terms of finding kindred spirits. I would say, I feel like you're one. Um, okay. So it's always, you know, I feel like this is church, you know, this is what church is about. It's just finding that connection and having sacred conversations with people. Yeah. Oh my God. First of all, I'm going to cry. I'm going to tell everyone I was crying listening to like three of Katie's podcasts before this because I'm feeling so seen. Like oh, I've, I've I'm so glad. This- That's what I want. I've gone through this in my spiritual journey of moments of feeling seen by someone like, oh, that feels so good. But it's taken me a very long time to feel seen at this intersection of this. Like that makes me feel so Christian background, but being someone who's like, no, I, I don't inherently believe that Jesus would approve or retweet what you're saying right now. Um, so thank you for making me, I want to get emotional during this, but you're so right. The sacred connection is the part that I always loved about church and, and the deep conversations and the heart to heart, like, and we're plugged into something bigger. So anyway, I keep interrupting you, but it's okay. It's okay. So we're doing on. healing in real time. It's real, IRL healing in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I've gone through this transformation in college where the classroom became that safe place for me to ask the questions. And so I knew I had more questions. I wanted to do more. So that is where I met Sarah at Yale Divinity School, not totally knowing why I was there, but I knew I was supposed to be there. And it was during that time that I had the opportunity to volunteer at an abortion clinic. That was something that I, that I wanted to do. I had done some trainings actually with the organization I now run, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, which we can call RCRC for short because it's a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's a way to actually accompany people through this. Well, I want to practice and I want to know what people go through. I had not been inside an abortion clinic before. And I felt like it was really important for me to see that for Mm -hmm. myself and experience it. And I'm telling you, this was the moment. This was the experience because two things happened. One, I had to drive through the line of protesters outside of the clinic who were Christian people Mm -hmm. who were yelling at me not to go inside. And that was horrible because it's the closest approximation that I have to what people actually experience going into an abortion Mm -hmm. clinic, needing an abortion. So I had that. And I also had the reaction of, wait a second, I don't want them thinking I'm here to have an abortion. I'm just here to go on a tour. And I realized, wow, I actually have a lot of internalized abortion stigma that I need to deal with because why did it matter to me that I was Mm -hmm. perceived that way? It was because I actually saw some separation there and some judgment 
So that was really profound. Just that 10 seconds of experiencing the protesters or walking inside, having that emotional reaction, that was profound. Mm. And then going inside and having the most, I get teary thinking about it, just the most sacred experience of watching the love and compassion of the doctors and the staff Mm. caring for patients. It was beautiful. And everything I had heard about abortion clinics was, you know, it's a godless place. (laughs) And here was the divine just all over, all over Mm. that place in the Mm. people in the room. And I decided I wanted to come back and volunteer. So I did every week. And one day they were short staffed and needed someone in the procedure room. And I was nervous because I didn't feel like I had the training. I'd never done that before. Mm -hmm. I was kind of awkward about it, but I was able to just be there and hold presence for patients, hold their hands, give them someone to look at while they were going through their procedure. And that really changed Mm -hmm. me because (laughs) I could just show up in my messy, awkward self, didn't have anything Mm. really helpful to say, but just being there. And, and they're allowing me to be there. Mm. It felt so holy to me. Like, this is mm. what this is about. So I'm thinking, how do I bridge these things? Outside are the Christian people yelling. <laughs> right. And here I am having a ministry experience in the clinic. Mm. And I just felt like I've got to figure out a way to bridge these things. I don't know what that will mean, but I've got to do it because I've got to do it. Wow. Talk about like a calling and talk about something that you're probably like, this is my call. Like the the abortion clinic calling this like this. (laughs) You're like, I'll literally do like anything else. (laughs) But it just put a target on my back. Right. You're like, oh my God, this is like not faint of heart. But I love that. Like almost can see like a movie, like the two, you know, split screen, like slow motion, angry protesters outside. And then this like weirdly sacred profound like ministry sanctuary moment inside and you being like how do we and and sort of like the irony of it like it's inside of this is so much of what christians i think want to follow and, and live and embody if you're following the teachings of jesus and you know again you're connecting so many dots for me i'm excited to get your book i think your team is sending it to me i was like i was listening to a podcast and your co-host read out an excerpt from it that had me weeping about like would Jesus, if you walk past an abortion clinic, you know, I'm paraphrasing this and ever has to read her book is this just this chapter, this passage alone made me cry. But it was like, would he walk past? Would he ignore the protesters? Would he get in line with them? Like, no, he would go into the abortion clinic and be like, yeah, like rubbing someone's hair, offering them saltine, ginger ale. And that's always like my personal relationship with Jesus is so different from the way that I feel like he's presented or put out in the world because of just very personal, deeply, deeply, deeply intimate moments I've had. And when you said that, I was like, yeah, we know the same Jesus because that's exactly what I know he would. I mean, hello. He was like the original spiritual revolutionary. But when you painted that picture, I was like, yeah. And so I guess my question, I mean, we can keep going with the story, but one of my larger questions is like, how did we get here? How did we go from love your neighbor and like Mm. we're holding over someone and and just loving someone as you'd want to be loved and and treating them as God would want to treat them to, I don't even know how to, the word, the just vile, like (laughs) out of anyone, you know, primarily almost like a hatred 
of women and womb bearers that comes through in, in the vitriol surrounding pro-life, like, you know, I'm using air quotes for people listening to the yeah. podcast rhetoric. So again, I'm sorry if you want to keep going your story, but that's one of the larger questions that I'm no, just like, we need to how did we yeah. get here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost, as you were saying, I'm like, well, let's go back to Constantine when Christianity became <laughs> the official religion of the Roman empire, but no way um, back. <laughs> there's, there's definitely some of that, the institutional power and, and the suppression of voices has been embedded, I think, from way early on and, you know, women's voices in particular, but other, other voices too. I love to go and read a lot of the texts that didn't make it into the canon because there are some beautiful gospels that were just destroyed or almost destroyed. Like the gospel of Mary being one, Mary Magdalene is my girl for sure. She got it. She She understood. She got it. And hence why they did not like her. Like, (laughs) exactly. That's why another Pope called her a prostitute, even though there's no, there's no textual evidence at all that she was, but I digress. So let's go like to the United States in the last 50 years. Cause I like it. Like we got really what we're talking about. Would it help to go and talk about kind of pre-row what was going on? Because I know you yes. had alluded to that. I think. I think it sets up what's going on of like yeah. what was happening. I think you said it was kind of like six, seven, eight years, like before row and before yes. that. And again, I think we think about in our culture that it's always been this way. I think we think of. Right. It feels that way. And Christian and religion and any you know conservative religious group obviously would be 100% anti-abortion. Yes. Yes. That is the narrative that we have to disrupt and pick a different narrative, a truer narrative. Cause honestly, that's not the truth. It's never been the truth. And I like to say, even from ancient times, if you look at Exodus one, these midwives who resisted um, the Egyptian Pharaoh and he was trying to enforce reproductive oppression, they were like, hell no, we're not doing that. Um, we're going to use our midwifery powers to intercept. So that's always been the legacy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's nothing new. People of faith have always been making sure that people get the care that they need. And so in those, those years prior to Roe, 1967 to 1973, there were clergy and lay people in 38 states who formed these networks of referrals for abortion care when it was illegal. And it was called the Clergy Consultation Service on Abortion. It started in New York City, and it really started when a pastor had a congregant come and say, my daughter needs an abortion, and he did not know what to tell her. And he thought, I need to figure out what to do when when people come to me. And it really started organically like that with just a group of clergy in New York City figuring out, you know, and, and a lot of times their secretaries, women would go and pretend to be pregnant people and make sure that the people they were referring folks to were actually taking good care of them and not taking advantage, which I love. So we have to okay. talk about the way that, because women were not ordained much at that time, but they were still very much integral to this whole thing, making sure that the doctors they were referring to were, were good caregivers. But anyway, so that group helped half a million people during that six-year period. Yeah, oh it's, amazing. it's amazing. And amazing. there were, it, yeah, and they weren't the only ones doing it. I mean, there's the Jane Collective in Chicago. There were lots of folks doing this work, but I think it's really important to understand that people of faith were really mm-hmm. involved and critical to that period of time, not just in getting people care, but also in advocating for the legalization of abortion as good public health, as a moral good, because they saw people dying in their communities from unsafe abortions. And so it was just part of their call to care for their communities. And we're talking primarily Jewish and Protestant clergy. 
some lay people, some Catholic nuns apparently were part of this too. And so it was, it was pretty broad in terms of who was part of this. And so I think it's just important to know that religious history, that, that that was really part of the call. And it wasn't seriously controversial at the time that these clergy had the support of their denominational bodies. And if you look at statements from different faith traditions from that time period, there's a lot of support for the legalization of abortion, including from the Southern Baptist Convention, which is really interesting. That, when you said that on some podcasts, I, again, fell off my chair. I am not even yeah. shocked anymore because your girl has seen a lot. But these things, I was like, I had a like back loop, 15 seconds, 15 seconds. I was like, what did she just say? So there was actual people, I think you mentioned a fundamentalist president of the Southern Baptist. Is that, am I even saying like the right terminology? Issued a quote about like when they, he began, like believe that life began and this whole, I remember I was listening to it. And I was like, wait, Southern Baptist people were involved in this. Like, yeah. okay, we were all like the, the faith-based leaders, like they were really, like you said, and there's like a network of people supporting maybe like felt a little underground, but to your point of like, they had the support of their churches and their organizations because it just makes sense, right? If we're here to yeah. care for the people and we're watching people die or get sick or just be in a really bad position, like why wouldn't we inter intercede on their behalf? Right. And you see a lot of nuance in these statements too. We're kind of holding that this is not simple, but caring for people is not difficult in terms of should we do it or not, you know? Mm. So I appreciate some of the language from that time because there really was this, you know, these are tough decisions that people are making and we need to make sure that people get the care that they need. And honestly, there's a lot about the work that I do now that's kind of reflects that in terms of Mm -hmm. recognizing that people have all kinds of experiences around pregnancies and honoring their full humanity and their complexity and their nuance. And also saying it is always good. It is always right to make sure that people get the care that they need. Right. And like the title of your book, a complicated choice, like anyone walking through that choice, that decision, it's like, Yes, it's literally just a complicated, very nuanced and very individual story, but yeah. also to your point these in your book, but also connects you to this larger web of people who walked that path before you. And again, it's also ensnared in the web are all of these things that we're talking about today, the intersection, racism, sexism, yes. heteronormativity, ableism. Like it's like there's so much going on that like the word complicated. It's like doesn't even do it justice, but it's like, yes, it's a complicated choice. Yeah. At least for some people, I think, you know, I've definitely talked to people for whom it was not difficult, but it is for some. And I think just being able to hold all the different kinds of experiences and stories is so important. And that's not something that I feel like either side of the debate is good at, including, you know, folks who advocate for abortion care. We don't always provide that space. Okay, so I haven't gotten to how we got to where we how are now. We, get I need to that we talked about all the good stuff, and then good we're like, stuff. where did things go wrong? Where, what happened? <laughs> okay, so yeah, and I'm not a historian of this, but I have I've studied with historians who you know look at this, especially from a political angle, because honestly, that's what a lot of this is about. If you think about the 1960s being a time of expanding civil rights for lots of folks, mm-hmm. there was a backlash. Because now the conservative political establishment is losing power because people who have been disempowered are now empowered. So what are we going to do about that? And there's this really interesting time period 
that I've been told about by a story named uh, Gillian Frank. And he explained to me that was really around the re-election of Richard Nixon, where a lot of this started to happen because all of a sudden now that, okay, abortion is legal now, white people are now seeing abortion clinics in their communities and they're realizing, wow, the people I know, my daughters, my neighbors, people in my community are having abortions. And people were starting to feel uncomfortable about that before it had sort of been hidden But now it was this reality that was right in front of them. And so feeling that anxiety was was kind of an opportunity for Richard Nixon's reelection campaign to capitalize on. So you've got white people who are uncomfortable with that. You've got Catholics who have been pretty much anti-abortion for a while. Not not always, but for a long time. You've got evangelicals who are also anti-abortion. And you've got Mormons who are anti-abortion. And so bringing those three groups together around a political movement was really strategic because that would give them votes that they needed to win elections. So really, the anti-abortion movement has always been about political power. And I talk about white Christian nationalism as really the force behind all this, because we start conflating Christianity with the anti-abortion movement, which makes sense. But it's really about people weaponizing Christianity for political power. And that's why I use that term, white Christian nationalism, and connecting it to all the other things that we're seeing right now. Suppression of voting rights, the anti, the efforts to keep like racial conversations out of schools and things like that. All of that is intertwined. And abortion Mm -hmm. was just a really convenient dog whistle as a way to get people who were having some feelings about the fact that women now had rights and that black folks had rights to come out and vote Republican. And so it's always been about political power. And that's how we got where we are. There's more to say, but you see it dismantling right away. After Roe, we have the Hyde Amendment, which kept federal money from being used for abortion care. So anyone who's on Medicaid, which is going to disproportionately impact low-income people, Black folks, Indigenous folks who are, you know, relying on care on their reservations, things like that. Like, you see it right away. And the, the dismantling has just continued and it has gotten so far that we are now at this point, like as we are recording, awaiting the decision in this case, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization that likely will overturn Roe. Oh my goodness. I really want to shout out. I really like what you said about the distinction, distinction of the language. Like the words we use are so important. And I know, yeah, there's such a charge even around, I know I have so many people in our community who have a conflicted feeling around even self-identifying as a Christian. And even yeah. I do, like I grew up, but because mm-hmm. of this, like, it's like, like this small percentage of very outspoken, very toxic view have taken on, like taken so much away from that label or that identity or, or, or belonging in that way. So I, I appreciate you saying that, like the white Christian nationalism, because it's mm-hmm. calling it what it is. It's naming it and it, it's putting a separation, which I appreciate. And then it helps us then be able to actually like dismantle or do something about it versus like, it's so funny. Words are funny. Like, I want to be anti-Christian because my neighbor's Christian. My grandma's Christian. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not that either. It's this, like the white Christian nationalism and things yeah. they're putting forward. So of course, power, politics, racism, of course, this is all the heart of it. Like we're like not surprised, but it is one of those things like, oh, oh, and how deep that goes ingrained into our collective psyche and our consciousness So like, obviously, you know, where we're at now, I guess what I wanted to really lean on you today as a resource, because I'm always trying to get better with 
communication and articulating. I have all of my Gemini's in my 12th house and my Chiron. So I get excited about learning and speaking, but I really value finding the right words for things. So mm. this conversation, like, <laughs> I don't know how to like frame this question, but I guess I'd ask if someone's listening to this and maybe they're having this conversation internally with themselves of like, this doesn't really compute because I was raised a certain way or how do I rectify my Christian beliefs with like abortion question mark, or probably what's more likely happening in this podcast is this is great. I'm on board already, but how the heck do I get my mom, dad, auntie, mother-in-law, coworker, like to start, like you said, thinking more nuance or, or inviting them into the conversation, let's call it about things a bit beyond the binary of like pro-life, pro-choice, anything in between like doesn't exist. And and like why probably reproductive rights and reproductive justice is so important to all of us. Yeah. Having the conversation is so tricky because we're not very practiced in doing it. You know, you, you were saying, even just saying the word feels difficult. And I really do liken it to conversations about whiteness and racism as a white person. It feels really awkward if we've been able to avoid it. That's part of the privilege is of being able to avoid having the conversation. And so it takes some practice in making some mistakes. And I, I would say there's a very similar a dynamic with talking about abortion because it is so uncomfortable and it is so divisive. And I also think the way that the, our talking points are on both sides of this feel very abstract. And so what I always tell folks about this is how do you humanize this? Mm. Because abortion always happens within the context of a person's full life. And even if you haven't had an abortion Someone in your life has, for sure, because it's one in four people can get pregnant, but also everyone has a reproductive story. And I th- what I've found is even just opening up conversations about our reproductive stories, there's infertility, there's miscarriage, there's all kinds of things that happen where people don't feel like they have the support that they need, where they felt isolated, where they felt like they were being punished by God or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think even just understanding like what are the reproductive stories in our family? Because you'll find oftentimes that there's something that will connect Mm -hmm. to this issue in one way. And you brought up the term reproductive justice. And I would love to talk about that a little bit because it's a term that that gets used and isn't always explained fully. And I think it actually is really, really helpful for all of us because it it offers a, a much broader framework for all of us to talk about this. So the reproductive justice framework was developed in the 1990s by Black women in response to the mainstream pro-choice movement, because Black women said, you're not talking about all of the different things that we experience in our reproductive lives, or we experience oppression. It's not just about access to abortion care, although that is important. It is all these other things. So just quickly, it's the right to have children, the right to have children, the right not to have children and the right to raise your children in safe and healthy environments. And when you think about that, it connects to every single justice issue there is. I mean, you you will link it back. It is so brilliant. It is a brilliant framework that is so comprehensive. And if you are someone who's passionate about the environment, there is connection to make there, right? Because it's about our environments have to be healthy for us to thrive, or immigration, same thing. Like you can, yeah. we can link it back. So I have found that that framework and attributing it to the black woman who created it to be such a helpful way to open it up because you can start 
you might not start with an abortion conversation. You might connect it to something else. And then you, but you get to the root issue, which is about control and the agency that we all divinely have to make sacred decisions about our lives. And everyone should have the resources that they need to make whatever reproductive decision that they want to. And what I have learned is sometimes people have abortions and they really don't want to. They would prefer to parent, but they Mm -hmm. cannot find the resources and the support that they need to do it. And so having an abortion is actually a parenting decision oftentimes. And a lot of people, the majority of people who have abortions already have kids. I was going to say, or you already have kids and you're like, it's a parenting decision to do this. Yes. Yes. So just being really realistic about how we do not set people up to thrive in their own lives and in their the lives of their families. It's it's true. I mean, we see the hypocrisy that mm-hmm. like, I think that that's coming up so much more. Mm-hmm. The hypocrisy around, you know, the quote unquote mm-hmm. pro-life movement is how are you not talking about gun control? How are you not talking about the formula shortage, right? Like all of these things that right. create abundant life, abundant, abundant life. Abundant life, right. Pro that's what Jesus was life. talking about. Right. That's what Jesus was talking about. Everyone like, what are you listening to? Like, that's why I'm just like imagining Jesus. Like, Oh my God. Oh my dad. Like, why are they all so like this? Like I just made the message pretty clear and like abundant life, like life of service, life of like, you know, Oh my God. I'm like, yes. And like, I think that's such a good distinction. And thank you for articulating so beautifully the work of those black women and reproductive justice and reproductive rights as like an umbrella term, because I think so much of life, yeah, so much of our big issues can be definitely woven back into that. And we can see right away the glaring like hypocrisy is right is right there in that too. And I think that there's something, yeah, bodily autonomy, like it's just so wild to me that that just down to the core of the very nature is like we would never try to put on, you know, a man no one in society is trying to make a man do something in his body they don't want to do, especially that's so high impact like this, like so impactful. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like, you know, shout out way back to like Constantine, like you were talking about, like so much of this is just this, like the way people talk about women and, you know, uterus bearing people, like I'm going to use the word women for a second, because when they're talking about people, they're talking about women in like the media. I'm like, it has like, there's almost like an inherent, I don't, I like distrust or hatred or thinking that like, we are as women or anyone who carry children are going to be doing something so reckless or that we have no like idea of how to contain ourselves or how to make these complicated decisions or how to do anything. Yeah. And that's the thing I, it's hard for me to get past where I'm like, where is this, where is this coming from? The larger question, but like, how can I begin to like bridge that gap? And, and these are people even in my own like inner circle. I've had some really heated discussions with, and I always try and step back and go Socratic and ask them questions and be open. But my insides sometimes are like, I'm sorry, it just sounds like you hate women. <laughs> I don't know how to get past that sometimes. You're not wrong. And I think the suppression of the divine feminine is so apparent these days. And I think she is breaking through that so hard. I mean, that's what I feel. That's what okay. I feel happening big time. Me too. Okay. I, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because I, I feel that and I'm praying for it and, and trying to embody and advocate for that. So the, it's, it's all part of like, you know, this people who are listening, listen to you talk about astrology all the time. Like we're in this really big 
come to Jesus moment as a country, the Pluto return. It's like mm-hmm. our, it's like our shadow's birthday. Like, it's like, what are all the things that this country was built on and our society and really like Western society as we know it, like just as like, you know, a lot of things the U S represents, like what are these issues and what are the things that were built on in 2008? It all started to like come to a head. This is the start of the return. And then it was like 2020 was a big moment. And then now 2022, we're in kind of like the grand finale. So it's like essentially the next through 2024. I keep saying, we're not going back that way. Like I just know astrology from studying it for watching the cycles for tens of thousands of years. And like the empires that clung to the unhealthy things and the Pluto return, like they just crumbled. And so I'm like, I don't, I just, there's an old, like there is that like toxic masculinity like patriarchal and it is crumbling but you feel it and i think what i want to why i wanted to have you on the podcast was to give a little faith and hope back to people there's people like you in the world who are bridging the gap who are so well researched and articulate and humble and also just like the other people are so loud and i find that like the die-off it's like a, a cleansing or like a monster in a movie who's like just knows you know they got the final hit and they're just like and you think they're dead but they're like come back I'm like yeah I really feel that but it's really hard right now to not I think people are really overwhelmed and I don't want people to like why even bother you look at the news you're like why bother so from your perspective like I guess Roe versus Wade I don't don't want you like you have to make big big claims here but is this something you feel like a there is a high likelihood of it being overturned and b I guess like what would that mean for us mm-hmm. if it was? Yeah, yeah. I think it's always helpful in answering that question just to say that Roe is not, has never been sufficient for making sure that people get the care that they need. Yes. And there have been a lot of people for a long time who have struggled to get care because of all of the restrictions and the bans that we've already seen. And mm-hmm. so just to know that the work isn't new, I think the scale is going yes. to be much bigger than anything I've seen in my lifetime. And that's going to be the the challenge because I do believe that row will be overturned. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not, there will, there will still be a restriction that will make things very difficult for a lot of people who need care. So regardless, we're looking at, you know, a difficult situation for access. So if row is overturned as we anticipate it will be, what's going to happen is that then kicks it back to states to decide what they're going to do with regard to abortion rights. And there are over half the states in the country are have laws on the books that as soon as Roe is overturned, abortion becomes illegal, either immediately or soon thereafter. And many of those states are connected to each other. We're looking at big sections of the Midwest and the South. I live in North Carolina. So actually I'm in one of the states that doesn't have a trigger law. So what that's going to mean is people are going to have to travel really long distances to get to, to clinics And we're already seeing this in places like Texas and Oklahoma, where abortion is essentially illegal. It is illegal in Oklahoma and basically illegal in in Texas. And we're seeing folks having to travel. And then those clinics get inundated. So there there is going to be a real need for resources like financial resources, practical resources. Mm -hmm. Because again, who's impacted by this? Poor folks, people of color, young people, queer people folks who are already experiencing different forms of oppression. And what I will say is just historically, we have always made sure that people get the care that they need. I'm very confident in Mm -hmm. the work Mm -hmm. of especially Mm -hmm. abortion funds that have been doing this kind of work on the ground for 
a long time. And if you are thinking, what can I do? You can go yes. donate to your local abortion. Fund. Okay. Good. Like, ask definitely. Like, give us an action step. Okay. Yes. Local you can donate to your abortion fund. fund. Yeah. You can go to the national network of abortion funds NNAF, and you'll find one in your state. Some states have more than one, but donating to them or funds that do practical support, like providing the other things people need, like traveling assistance and housing and all of that is a wonderful oh. first step. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely get a link what you just said in the show notes because yeah. we, lo- we love an action step around here. Okay. So carry on. Okay. So it sounds like this is good. This is good preparing us for what's going to happen, but also knowing yeah. that like it's already, Roe wasn't really doing a great job. Like you said, there was the it wasn't poles and bands and just, okay. So yeah. deep breaths. Deep breaths, right? So just knowing that there are people who have been preparing for this moment for a long time, even if it's surprising to you or shocking to you that it's happening, just know that there are people who've been preparing for it for a long time (laughs) and have been doing this work. So you don't need to go start a new thing. Make sure you're supporting the reproductive justice advocates in your community and asking them what would be most helpful. So, you know, plugging in and supporting them is is a great first step. And they, they are experts and they are forming these networks and have been in networks to make sure people get the care that they need. They're just going to need more help. And you can be, you can be someone who, who helps with that. I also think, and I talk about this in my book, A Complicated Choice, this is a great time to really look at your values around abortion. Are there things about abortion that make you uncomfortable? That's okay. We are products of this culture that has told us abortion is wrong. Whether or not you believe it, it's said so much. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a real opportunity for us to kind of ask ourselves is that what I really believe? Do I maybe want to change my belief about that and move from a place of judgment into compassion? Um, mm. And listening to people's abortion stories is a great way to do that. I have abortion stories in my book, but there are also great organizations like Shout Your Abortion and We Testify that have beautiful stories you can read and just hear what people's experiences are. It's so oh. central. Yeah. So, and re-examining and looking at your values around abortion Yes. Like that was something I was going to bring up before, but the the values and the things that we just think are inherent or we don't realize. And I I really applaud you for bringing up like, yeah, I had these weird thoughts when I was like, I am here, but I'm not here for the abortion. Like, and I think we all can relate to having some sort of moment like that, whether it's a moment of judgment, hearing something or being like, I'll support abortion, but we don't want someone to know I got an abortion or these Things, yeah. things like micro, th- we're not even realizing we're thinking, like you said, this all happened in 10 seconds, you walking up to the clinic, but to like slow down that and look and really figure out like, okay, where do I want to kind of do just like doing, you know, racism work. It's like, yes. where am I in- internalizing it? Where am I actually yeah. thinking some of these beliefs and where am I kind of not on purpose, but part of this like hive mind that's, that's feeling this and kind of moving through life in that hive mind. That's so important. I'm so excited to read your book. It sounds so amazing. I want to honor your time because literally good talks to you. Like I got to talk about Constantine with you. I want to talk about your whole freaking journey to writing complicated choice, but I, I you know, we've been here for an hour or 45 minutes, but so really? I, wow, I nice. know, <laughs> I know I'm like, literally, I just want to talk to you all day, but I want to honor your time. I know you're also traveling with family, but I do want to end by talking a little bit about your birth chart and some of the things that I love about it just a reflection of your cosmic superpowers because I think it's so cool when I hear someone who's just leading such a purpose-led life, such a heart-centered life. I'm like, you did not choose this. You did, <laughs> you did but you didn't. But it's like, this is something that's, yeah, um, a mission and something that is flowing through you and something that, you know, God, the divine wants to 
create in this world through you. And I like reading your chart because it's a thank you for coming on. But I also like for people to hear it in their own chart and be like, oh yeah, I, I carry a piece of that in my chart too. So I am feeling this conversation a lot. Okay, oh, Katie has that. So I, if I have that, this must be important to me too. It's such a great celebration of how wholly unique we are, but how intrinsically connected we are. So in your chart, obviously, like you said, and you said, and your friend said that you're been dabbling in the astrology. So you probably know a lot of these things I'm already going to say, but the first and foremost thing that I was dying at is that you were born with a sun in zero degrees cancer. So you're a cancer sun, you've done this your whole life. It's like the most obvious part of astrology. But what's interesting about it, like taking it one level further is you know, astrology, we don't really believe in cusps because you are a sign or you're not. It's 30 degrees, zero to 29 degrees. But there is something to be said for like the zero degree, because it means you're here to do something really new and carve out a new path and do something that's really powerful. And cancer is the sign of the divine feminine, the mother, the womb, breasts, belly, all represented in your body through cancer. It's a sign of the ocean. It's a sign of like, yes, all things divine feminine. I'm a cancer rising. And so it's why a lot of my work is, is centered around this um, because it's my biggest motivating force in life. But for you with it zero degree, it's not only is it that you're here to do something new around that, but it means like you kind of carry a lot of Gemini energy, but in this lifetime, so all that thing, and we'll talk about you have a Mercury in Gemini. You're such like a curious person, a learner, a student, like words, turning things up and down, like the questions going to the university. That's almost like, if you believe in past lives, probably what you did a lot in past lives or what you have this inherent, like that's done. I I'm, I have that in me done, locked and loaded. But this lifetime, the challenge was like, we're going to do that, but we're going to center it around the Cancerian things, like the feminine, the circles, the divine feminine, woman, motherhood, families, home, like everything you're talking about. So I just thought that I, as an astrologer, I just got a kick out of the zero degrees of cancer. I'm like, you were born like a few hours earlier. You would have been Gemini sun through and through. So I think that's just cool. and really speaks to like your, your soul's path, your inner rebel, your Sag moon, truth teller. Everything in your chart is like storyteller, truth teller, connector of people, so much of that. Um, your Mercury and Gemini in your eighth house is like, I want to think and write and speak. But the eighth house is like, I want to do it about some taboo shit. I want to talk about <laughs> eighth house is like sex and drugs and abortion and like death and like all the things that like, all the things you weren't raised to talk about at the dinner table, like eighth house is that. And it's also ultimately about power, right? It's about going in there to the dark places and pulling out the, the people that are disempowered or dismantling the systems that seek to hold unhealthy power over people. So like, I love that your mercury, that's where your mind is. That's where your thoughts go. That's your consciousness. That's where your words are. Um, but Gemini, you bring it to the world in a very digestible way. Gemini is like TLDR, like too long, didn't read. It's like the news brief. It's the tweet. It's like, Gemini's like, let me just give you the bullet points here because you're not going to read this whole, like Sagittarius is the like person who publishes the, like you said, I'm like, what you did in college, like, oh, I'm going to read a huge journal of something someone wrote. And it's like, okay, that's what Sag likes and certain people like that. But Gemini's like, hey, people, you're distracted. Here's what I need. <laughs> yes, that yeah. is totally me. Which is so important, especially these eighth house things, because we're like already kind of weird about talking about it. And then we're like, oh. so, and really like the thing that caught my eye was yours was a Reddit. I was like, oh, a Reddit post. I can read that in the car while I'm doing like 10 things. So truthful, like so Mercury and Gemini. And then your Sag moon in the second house is like 
Sagittarius is the truth teller, whether they want to be or not. That's why we laugh. Sag moons get themselves in trouble sometimes. It's just like, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> but like in the highest consciousness, the highest vibration, it is the truth teller. And it's here to bring more like higher truth to society. But Sag moon does it through, like you said, the non-binary. Like it's like Sag moons, like there's many ways to like one truth. And Sag moon wants to go and experience it all. Like different cultures, different belief systems, different backgrounds, different, like even in the microcosm and local community, all the different like cultural experiences and backgrounds that are happening. That's your moon. That's your innermost world, like who you've been since you were a little girl. But there's something like playful and warm about Sag moon energy that I love. And, and I think you are, for the work you do of how freaking heavy it could be, you're very delightful to listen to and talk to. And I attribute that a lot to your Sag moon. So not only are you a truth teller and this Gemini Sag is the access of storytelling, story sharing, like stories, the importance of stories and listening. And clearly like that's what you did in your book, which sounds like I can't wait to read all the stories in there, but like how important it is for the narrative of our culture, for like the fabric of our society, for us to not feel alone in our human experience, like Gemini Sag, switch of your chart is just the stories, the stories we tell and share story medicine and your Sag moons in your second house of values. So it's like, I want to tell stories that connect me to my values and that help me understand my values and my value systems. And also it will bring value to you. Like quite literally it's part of your livelihood. So I think you're doing it. <laughs> check, check, check. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, there's so much I could go on in, in your chart about, I mean, you also have Jupiter on your moon, which makes you very, everything I just said about the moon and Sag is like enhanced. Like, like Jupiter takes a magnifying glass to everything or, like expands it out. So you're like, everything I just said, times that times 1000. And then you have your Libra rising. So what motivates you, how you walk through the world, how things find you is Libra is justice. Like Libra in the highest consciousness is all about the scales of justice and being like, something's out of balance here. And I am going to make sure it goes into balance. And I don't like, and Libra is people also something with harmony and beauty. So it's lovely and Venus, but don't let that lovely Venus energy fool you. Like Libra Risings, yes, you're beautiful. You're usually very like move through the world very delicately with elegance and grace. But it's like, I'm here for justice. I'm here to bring something that I see in my corner of the world or at the world at large where the scales feel really out of balance. Like just, I'm just need to bring that back, just bring it back in. And such a natural like strength of conviction of right and wrong. And again, not in like the black and white way. Well, sometimes leave it rise and this can't get a little black and white actually. But like, there's really this feeling of like, just an inherent feeling like that's, that's, that's not right. Like that's something I want to kind of, and such an energy and almost for you, it's like your soul's essence just is constantly drawn to that, to that Libra justice seeker. And then your North Node in Gemini, which is what I have too, which is why I probably, I think you started writing your book in the beginning of the pandemic. So that was your nodal return, your nodal return, started May of 2020. That's right on the money. <laughs> right on the um, money. So that was your North Node return. Your North Node is your highest soul's path, your destiny line, your like capital SP soul's purpose is to really like walk the Gemini path in this life. And again, like with that cancer, like filter that you're in your cancer sun. So May 2020 to January of this year was like, putting anything that's out of alignment or anything that was just keeping you from your soul's path. It was like, clear it, it's gone. And like, and like a very clear assignment to write, speak, publish, teach, 
on something that's going to make us question. Gemini is like the mantra of the North Node Gemini is like going out in the world, making things digestible, making things accessible, but kind of making everyone ask the question of like, who says and says who? Like, why do I think that? Who said that is the way it has to be? Why? And so there's this sort of mischievous, rebellious energy that is essentially curiosity and innovation has to come from that. So that was your nodal return. You're living out your chart so beautifully. Is there any like questions you have for me that you'd like to like ask while you have me here? Okay, I can ask a question. Um, uh-huh. So one thing that was pointed out to me is that I have a yod pointing to Chiron, yes. the wounded healer. Yes, yes, good old yods. So a yod is, they call it a finger of God. And it's sort of usually is associated with, especially in like esoteric and shamanic astrology, it's like a challenge, a big challenge that you have to, to deal with in life. Usually happens at an earlier age, whether that's a loss, death, struggle, but it points you like the finger of God in the direction that you're meant to go in. So even, I mean, there's probably a lot of situations in your life that might be coming to mind, but even the story you shared about losing your grandmother, your connection to her is what made you be like, I want to hold on to this faith, right? Like for right now, because of our connection and the way I feel connected to her through that. And then clearly like you were meant to stay on that path. Like maybe in a different circumstance, you'd be like, the rest of us who are like, uh, like I'm 18, I'm, I'm, I'm out of this. Like I'm just live the full on heathen life and like come back to spirituality a different way. But um, and so we can look at different things. But the fact that it points to your Chiron in your eighth house, which is actually in this kind of interesting formation with your North Node and your Mercury and your Mars and this whole Gemini stellium you have, is like we're gonna make you go through some uncomfortable things an eighth house and look at uncomfortable things to point you towards your purpose and pointing towards your Chiron. Your Chiron is very much like your wound, but it's like the thing that you have to heal through unconventional routes. And then you get to share that. And that becomes your wand, like wound into wand. It becomes your medicine that you take, but you also share with the world. So these Chiron and Gemini things, like the questioning and the looking at things, the words, the studying, and also Gemini in a shadow energy is very binary. It's very like one way or the other. Gemini is like, mm-mm. Like Sagittarius is like, of course, everything is true and nothing is true. But Gemini is like, no, there is actual facts and details and receipts and evidence-based research. There are rights and wrongs and there are things that are right. So, which is beautiful about Gemini, but it can get shadowy of that. So when we live in a space that's too black and white, too in the binary, it like limits what actually Gemini wants to do, which is ask the right questions and turn things on its head to get there, to get to the truth. So all of that part of your journey and even just very much like throat chakra work, I I didn't get to say it in this Chiron Gemini is the perfect way to say it, but I really want to thank you for the work you're doing. I'm probably getting a little choked up, but Chiron and Gemini is a wound around your throat chakra, like speaking your truth. So I can only imagine like in the eighth house, there's other things, how many times it would have been easier just to say nothing, or maybe where you did say nothing or where you were complicit or just like, I don't have the words for that. That's too much. That's too big. That's going to put a target on my back, like you said. And it'd be so easy with your Chiron and Gemini to be like, happy, mute, lovely, quiet, Uh peaceful kingdom over over here. But you did the thing. You did the damn thing, baby. And I really respect that about you a lot. So just quickly, the book that I wrote is not the book that I pitched. And 
I was afraid to write a whole book about abortion, even though I was doing that work full time. I had gotten so much harassment mm-hmm. that it did, I couldn't imagine the magnification of that by publishing an entire book about <laughs> it. So what you're describing, is like there was a wound that was healed in doing that. And I see the healing already mm-hmm. that's happening just in people learning about the book, talking about the book within their families. There are secret abortions that are coming to the surface for the mm-hmm. first time. Oh. So I'm I'm grateful for that and I'm I'm grateful for you know my decision to say yes to something scary because it has helped me heal but also helped a lot of other people heal too. Oh my goodness. I love that. Exactly. Like it, that's so what Chiron does. It just puts the thing in your face, the absolute last thing that you want to do or be confronted with. And you're like, what? This is, I mean, even for me, I'm like, I thought like, oh God, like my, my podcast, I am pretty divisive. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but it's like, even this, like anything with the word abortion in it, you're just opening up to like, I swear people just have like algorithm trolls, bots, like, I mean, they literally do. So I'm like, of course they do. So I'm like, so you doing that is such a cool moment. Again, such a good example of like, look at Chiron in your chart and just know that like, when you get the call, when you get the invitation to do the thing that really like terrifies you, but also is weirdly like a soul. Yes. It's like up here, terrified, but like here in my gut, it's like, yeah, here we go. This is what I'm meant to do. I love that. The last thing I'll say about your chart is you better get ready for a busy ass summer, fall, winter, because you have your Mars return this year. And anyone listening to Mars and Gemini, Mars is normally a sign for six weeks. You get a big boost, new energy, lots of ideas, momentum. And Mars is going to be in Gemini for seven months. So from August 20th until like early 2023, you're going to be going fine and spreading that word and those messages. And then we'll have a retrograde thrown in there. Like, end of winter. And I think that part of your work, it feels like it's going to be very seminal in these conversations that we're having and like probably being used in a really big capacity. And you're going to be kind of at the forefront of that. So I'm going to say rest up, ground down, make sure to have good bound, energetic boundaries. But I'm really excited to, to watch what this book does in the world and your work. Thank you. Thank you for the reading. That was such a lovely treat <laughs> <laughs> and, and affirming. So thank you for your work too. And I tell other, the spiritual teachers and healers I have in my life who say, I, you know, what you're doing is so important. I'm like, yes. And so is what you're doing because what you do helps us do what we do. We are all in community with each other. So thank you for the work that you're doing. That gives us what we need to do the work we do. Thank you. On the community. We found it. We found our community. We found found it. We got church. Weird misfit ministry. Yay. (laughs) Um, Beautiful. So what's the best way for people to find you or buy your book and obviously go to your podcast? We'll link to everything, but what's like the the starting point? Website, social media? Yeah. My website is kbzay.com. You can find me on all the socials. I'm now on TikTok too. So yeah. And you can also follow my organization, rcrc.org. You can find A Complicated Choice at anywhere books are sold online or through independent bookstore is a great place to get it too. And I just look forward to connecting with you all. And really my DMs are open. I love hearing from people who have a story or have a question. Please reach out. I would love to be in conversation with you. Oh, this is amazing. Katie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so generous with your time and wisdom. And thank you everyone for tuning in and go support your local abortion fund.
Do you love getting your Cosmic RX for the week here and want more? Make sure to sign up for our premium subscription so you can get exclusive access to bonus podcast episodes, all of my astrology info for the month ahead, and live new and full moon calls to help you manifest your dream life with an intentional international community of other cosmic baddies. Sign up through our link in show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to know more about Cosmic RX, head on over to thecosmicrx.com. And if you really love this show, I'd love it if you left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I super love hearing from you and reading your reviews. All right, you cosmic baddie, tune in next week. And until then, remember, love yourself fully, work your magic, and take no shit.